You're listening to the Small Biz Ahead podcast, brought to you by The Hartford. Well, good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Small Biz Ahead, the small business podcast presented by The Hartford. My name is John Adekonis, and I'm joined by my co-host, Gene Marks, as well as a very special guest, Luke Holland of Luke's Lobster. We're both happy to be here and, and to talk with you, John, and uh, for all of you guys listening right now, John is actually calling from a very secret mine in the middle of Colorado. Uh, we can't tell you where he is, but that's why he, he sounds the way he does. So actually, I'm just kidding. He's on a mobile phone. Uh, we want to get this done and get this done timely. So uh, bear with us for the mobile phone. But it, you know, I think we can certainly make you out pretty well, John. Awesome. Thanks, Gene. And yes, it's uh, one, of the, one of the big things that we've all kind of experienced last year is, is the the joys of more frequent technical difficulties in a remote world, right? Um, <laughs> Internet works, except when it doesn't. It's very, very true. Um, you know, Luke, super excited to have you here today. So I don't know how much background you have on Gene and I, but, you know, before I kind of made the, the jump into um, insurance, I actually kind of grew up in my career in restaurants, um, you know, in New England. So I'm excited to kind of connect with someone else in that space, and I'm also a former New Yorker who came back to New England. So I'm excited to hear a little bit about your your journey here. That's wonderful, and I and and again, uh, I appreciate you you having me on the podcast today, and 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 allowing me the opportunity to, to tell my story. Oh, anytime. Yeah, I'm sure you know people are. It's it's been a topic this year, right? Kind of how restaurants have fared, and I think a lot of um, attention and and rightly so focus on how we kind of help get that our community back through. Um, you know, hopefully, kind of the post COVID era and and back to normal, and hopefully better. A little bit about yours, right? So you're entering about what was it year twelve of business? You opened your first location in two thousand nine. That's correct. Yeah. So congratulations. That's a that's a success in in, in the restaurant world. You know, and I think what's really interesting, you know, if I have it right and keep me honest, you started your restaurant kind of coming off of a career in Wall Street. So really, this isn't the first time you you faced financial crisis or kind of adaptation. Your concept was kind of born in that environment, too. I graduated back in 2007 and really didn't know what I wanted to do. So I, I followed a lot of my friends to to Wall Street and specifically investment banking. I remember... Uh, the first couple of months being invited to some of these closing dinners that had these uh, just enormous, like real thick cuts of bacon and, and enormous magnum bottles of wine. And you know, I went to New York City with probably $1,500 of credit card debt and a friend that uh, allowed me to sleep on a futon until I could until I could get my own place because I didn't have any money for a deposit. And I, a bottle of wine was looking at me and it was three times uh, a bottle of wine would have cleared my debt and then some. And and fast forward, you know, s- six months, uh, my my desk uh, was was lost. I lost seventy percent of my teammates, and it seemed like overnight that investment banking industry and and the amount of positivity uh, in the in the type of deals that were getting done quickly uh, transitioned to m- more restructurings with a third of the team, and 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 certainly I. Uh, at a very early stage of my career, kind of saw how quickly things can go from good to bad. Hey, Luke, so did you did you jump right from Wall Street into starting up this business? It, it wasn't a typical entrepreneurial jump off a cliff um, type transition. I built a business plan 
for Luke's Lobster that I ultimately shared with a handful of mentors um, and, and, and refined it on paper, ultimately got it to the point where I kind of had that conviction that, hey, this is worth my time and worth all of my savings which at the time was, was $15,000. And my, my father co-funded this with $15,000 that he borrowed um, against his 401k. And w- what we ended up doing was finding a, a, a partner um, to run the day-to-day uh, over Craigslist of all places. And, and my partner, my co-founder, Ben, ran the business uh, for the first six months until I said, hey, this can be more than just a passion project. This can be a a passion project and a career, and that's when I gave my several month notice to the to the to the bank that I was going to be leaving to join Luke's full time when we uh, when we opened the second shack in the Upper East Side. Tell me more about this story. So you had then you opened up a second you know second location in New York. Um, now, how many locations do you have now? Right now we've got seventeen shacks open in okay. the U.S. We've definitely lost a few shacks as a result of the pandemic. We've had to transition the business quite quite dramatically. Yeah, 2009 opening in the East Village. 2010 it was so quick timeline here. October 1st, 2009, we opened the first Luke's. It was just a, a smashing success from from day one. Just queues around the block, and just we were having fun, and that was most important. We were making money. We were having fun. And and had just a great access to to talent. You know, the, during the recession, ultimately, it's it's typically pretty easy to hire really great people, and we had access to that. We had access to great people, and and ultimately, I think people like the story of of Wall Street to Main Street. It's something that people could kind of identify with. And the lobster industry was taking a beating at the time. There was record low prices, and we were able to pass uh, some of that value that we were creating at the restaurant back to the fishermen, pay them a little bit more, but also just create a marketplace for the product so that they keep fishing. And and that resonated with guests. And so that helped propelled us to open the second one, May of 2010. And my brother, who was working as a consultant for IBM, said, hey, this is cool. I want to I wanna be part of the family business. So he joined that summer, uh, helped open up our third shack, which was on the Upper West Side, we did that December of, of 2010. Then from there, uh, he was everything from selecting the project to building it out, to hiring the team, to managing it for those first couple of months. And then he went down to DC, brought another partner into the business and they brought out, they, they, they kind of like parallel um, built out the, the DC market. So those first couple of years were just absolutely wild. They were a lot of fun. We were learning we were learning at the rate of, of water coming out the end of a fire hose. And in a lot of ways, like when we were sitting around the table over the last six to six to 12 months, and we were talking about how are we going to tackle this challenge as a result of the pandemic? How are we going to tackle that challenge? It reminded us so much of those early days around not having the right experience, not having the right answer, not having uh, enough resources, but ultimately just sticking to the reasons for why you started this business, sticking to your core brand values and just finding a way. I'm definitely not going to say that the last six to 12 months were as fun as those first couple of years, but I will say that there was moments where you had these euphoric uh, small wins that were reinvigorating at points in time, uh, despite some of just the, the real low lows that we've experienced over the last six to 12 months. So it's been a, it's been a really a pretty amazing journey. 
No, Luke, it's interesting you say that, right? Because I mean, you know, it's our category, we're in the business of risk. And I think we kind of share on our, our side a belief that one of the biggest risks a small business owner takes is, is putting their idea into the world and really having that faith that they have something that's going to serve their community well. And, you know, it, it feels like even though you didn't have the traditional kind of entrepreneurial moment where like, I'm going to do this starting today, it, that seems core to kind of your experience. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, because you, you kind of approach your business from this planful lens. You know, there's a there's a lot behind it, right? So it's more than just a retail or a restaurant facility. Um, you kind of started to hit on this a little bit where you're really kind of integrated not only into your vertical, right? You have a lot of connections kind of in, in the value chain of, I'm going to say this wrong, but fishery or seafood. But you've also kind of built that into your business model where you kind of have an end-to-end view on your product. And similarly, it seems not only just in kind of your category community, but being a good kind of corporate citizen is also really important to you. And I'm curious about how much of that was something intended when you started and how much of that kind of came as a result of, you know, business learning and optimization and and seeing new opportunity. It's a fantastic question. And the, the hallmark point is that nothing has changed over the last 12 years. The definition, um, the level of specificity and the professionalism has just dramatically changed. And, and so, you know, what, how does that manifest? Our, our brand mission is to become the world's most respected seafood brand. Um, so now we can say that we, we can we can articulate that in one sentence to to someone that asks day one. It was treat people the way you'd like to be treated and serve the best damn lobster roll at the best price. And, and really how that has transformed over the last 12 years is into core brand values um, such as taste, transparency, and purpose. And when we think about taste, we think about simple preparation. We think about how the seafood is meticulously handled and traced back to sustainable waters uh, um, and sustainable fishing practices and best in world, best in, in world ingredients. When we think about transparency, it's, it's, we're a, we're a, a stakeholder model versus a, a shareholder model. We constantly look at the decisions we make and say, how does this, how does this benefit? How, how, where's the win-win for all of our stakeholders? Um, we don't believe in, in the importance of, of middlemen. We, we try and own as much as the supply chain as possible so we can, we can offer the most value to our stakeholders. Again, whether those are fishermen, our teammates, our suppliers, or our guests. And then, Another piece of transparency for us that's important is this concept of the main way. What the main way like means to me or how it comes to life is if you're walking around any one of the uh, traditional main towns, it's like the subtleties of please and thank you, somebody holding the door, uh, being able to walk across the uh, uh, the street on a crosswalk without without having to you know hit the button and wait for the the bird to start chirping. It's, it's the subtlety of like people looking out for other people and being hospitable. And so we really try and bring that to life in all of the touch points in, in now our omni-channel business, omni-channel being through shacks and through our online market, which is our e-commerce business and through our branded grocery um, CPG business. So then our third core brand value is purpose, um, which you hit on a little bit. We became a certified B Corp back in 2018. And the significance of that was, you know, we, we've always kind of said, yeah, we like doing things um, the right way. We like being viewed as a sustainable business. But what's really 
impactful about B Corp certification is it's basically a rubric. It's a it's a measuring stick to say how are you doing, um, where do you have opportunity to grow to become a more uh, sustainable um, uh, benefit type corporation, and we put um, we put KPIs in place to ultimately. Uh, increase our, our our eligibility or our score every year. That manifests in us being an icon of responsibility for good business practices, and that's important to us. We started something called the Keeper Fund, where we get the opportunity to go support coastal communities and in, in the in, in, in environment. And we, we really try and focus on those communities where we're we're actively buying lobster and crab and halibut, bluefin tuna, et cetera. So. It's the same, same, but but very different in that these things were all important to us in day one. We just really didn't have the business acumen on how to define them or how to verbalize them. And so it's been really fun as uh, myself and, and my team um, have, have been able to, and we have so much more work to do, but to bring to life uh, what we were all kind of thinking and unsure how to say um, on day one. Right. And you know, what's interesting, and I think, you know, you, you kind of hit on this a little bit in your, your last statement, too, is like the, the pandemic or the response to it kind of forced everyone to think differently and kind of make these big pivots. And I'm curious about how much of the change or kind of optimization of your business model really kind of came about based in these kind of brand pillars that you had. So when you think about kind of this, this dramatic um, and pretty fast moving shutdown, um, you know, and, and being from New England and the Mid-Atlantic, I think we kind of saw that happen really quickly and into some level of severity. How did you kind of react and, and how were you able to still kind of maintain enough profit to kind of stay afloat and still kind of stay true to who you are, which so much of it sounds like giving back or things that probably come at some kind of a premium, you know? Two examples come to mind. Um, I shared that one of our core brand values is transparency. What was really important to us, um, because at, at one point in time, I had I was writing as much, proudly writing as many as 500 checks, a little less than that, let's say so, somewhere around 400 checks a week. And at the height of the pandemic, we were we were probably you know, 15 to 20 checks a week. Um, so an enormous effort to get small and get small fast. And so when we thought about our core brand values and transparency being one of them, it, we weren't alone in how we had to act to stay alive, especially in those markets where we either were forced to or proactively shut down business um, to just prioritize safety. We, we, we said, hey, like, how would you want to be treated in this type of environment? And if you were on the other end of one of those phone calls, so we, we made sure that every single one of those layoffs was as transparent as possible. You know, it was not a text message. It was not an email. It was not no communication, which we kind of heard over and over again was the norm. We made sure that everybody had uh, multiple touch points and that they got as much support as we could possibly offer to get in unemployment queues and understand the complexity of, uh, of that. And we were also thoughtful on how we time these layoffs too. We, it was pretty easy to project that unemployment offices were going to get completely inundated. So we proactively shut down all of the shacks besides one um, a couple of weeks before it really became mandated in a lot of markets. And again, like priority one was, was we just don't know what the heck's going on. So let's prioritize safety. 
let's make sure that safety is also balanced with financial security. So where we had the opportunity to get people into unemployment before the queues really started, that was really important to us. So that was one example. The second is we actually formed a partnership with the Island Institute, which is a, um, it's a wonderful nonprofit organization that's, that's core mission is to build resilient leadership within coastal communities up here in Maine. I've had the uh, privilege of serving on that, on the board of trustees for, for several years. And, and so Luke's officer and Island Institute came together and put together um, a, a bankable model where we were able to go raise um, money through the nonprofit to keep fishermen fishing. So there was a bunch of disruption, especially in small communities that weren't part of, uh, they were dependent on the food service and that were um, uh, very micro in size. And we were able to raise nonprofit dollars that enables us to keep those fishermen fishing and build a world-class um, online market or, or e-commerce business. And that was, that was a really, really neat position to be in because like we're here we are like our 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 business our world is 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 burning um but we we were able to kind of leverage all of the the goodwill um and history that that we had created as a brand over the last 11 years to partner with a nonprofit and find a donor that was willing to put up two and a half million dollars to help build this e-commerce platform with the intention of just putting building resiliency into the the seafood supply chain up here in Maine and the fact that we got to lead that was really really cool. So so it's been it's been a real challenge. Um, certainly the most challenging year of my of my life of my professional career. Um, but but I think you know we stuck to our core brand values during the good decisions the in uh, the in uh, the tough decisions and and there was moments where we got you know kind of rewarded for for prior behavior and that felt good. So Luke, so looking back on 2020. Um, how was the year financially? Did you, you know, did, did you make money? Did you lose a lot of money? And now as we're emerging from COVID and the pandemic, you know, what do you, you know, how does this year ahead look to you? We got crushed in 2020 financially, just absolutely buried. Um, but we, we, federal government has been supportive of, of restaurant groups and restaurant groups of our size. So, um, that's been, it's been helpful. I'm op- I'm cautiously optimistic. I think there's a lot of pent up demand um, f- to just get out and be with people and eat fine food and and start to get to some sense of normalcy. But while I believe that there is that pent up demand, I don't know how it actually manifests in in a lot of the markets that we do business in. Um, you know, New York is our largest market. Pa- Boston probably our second. And we just depend so heavily on business traffic and office towers being full and bustling and, and international and domestic tourism. I don't know when offices are going to fill back up. I don't know when international tourism is going to reopen. So I think it's going to be kind of like a staged reopening. And um, hopefully when people think about celebrating or treating themselves, they, they think of Luke's. Are you planning on applying um, to the Restaurant Revitalization Fund? Um, I'm assuming you're aware of it. It's part of the stimulus bill that recently passed? Yes, we are. Yeah. So very few details have been, just seems like just the, the tentpole details have been published. So right. devil will definitely be in the detail. But um, it seems like a, if there's enough money to go around, it seems like a, just another wonderful opportunity for support. 
just for our listeners, I just want to make sure if you're in the restaurant business, and that's restaurant and bar business, the uh, you know the March stimulus bill has something called the Restaurant Revitalization Fund. You should be checking the SBA's website every day, sba.gov. Uh, it, it essentially, Luke, is like you, you compare your 2020 revenues with your 2019 revenues, and whatever the shortfall is, uh, you'll get a grant for that money um, up to 10 million bucks. And uh, you have to spend the money on certain things, which is pretty much everything, payroll and operations and all of that. So there's some reporting requirements. But um, you know, just, just saying to all of our, our listeners who are in the restaurant business, it is, I, I think, a vital, vital piece of stimulus that could provide great relief while we try to get back on our feet in 2021. Back to you, John. Yeah, Luke, I mean, so I know we're we're just about time. So if you were going to kind of say like the the main lesson that you learned from 2020 for for kind of our fellow business owners, what what would you want to know or if you could kind of go back to to March of last year, um what would you tell yourself? Stick to tuna fish. The the bluefin tuna market was very repressed. Um, (laughs) There was a lot of good quality bluefin floating around. Ah. But um, I believe what everyone should ultimately not deviate from is is what their North Star is, what their core brand values are. So if if you kind of understood what your North Star was, what your core brand values were pre-pandemic, you really need to uh, you need to stay true to that because often crises can can define unfortunately um who we are as 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 leaders who we are as people who we are as businesses and um i was just very very proud to 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 represent a brand and a group of amazing people that that found ways to take make sacrifices and take risk to to, to just better the environment that they were in better the community they were in and 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 ultimately also just compete to keep Luke's alive. And um, I'll be forever grateful for that. I've, I've always been a, a team first, um, team first leader. And, and I, uh, this year has just been, it's just been remarkable. And I've, I've got a uh, um, nothing but, but love and lifelong appreciation for, for a handful of my teammates. That's awesome. And, you know, I mean, it, it's been a pleasure speaking to you and I think your story is so impressive and you're such a, a good example of um, doing good by doing the right thing. And, and I'm, I'm happy that's kind of been able to pay off for you, you know, on a selfish note. So, you know, I did run your, your name by a friend who is a food writer and she's like, the guy's credible. His food's really good. And I know Jean has some questions too. So I think, you know, before we let you go, we have to ask probably the most critical question, which is when we think about a lobster roll, you know, are, are we thinking like hot with butter or cold with mayonnaise? I think lobster rolls. I just always go right for the lobster. I don't know. Yeah. But Luke, I'll, I'll leave your opinions. You, you offer us your opinions. Um, we make all our lobster rolls from scratch. And I I really prefer mine um, in a real minimalist stage where just it's a, a fresh bun toasted with butter on each side quarter pound of, 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 of fresh lobster meat, no mayonnaise for me, and our secret seasoning and a little lemon butter on top. I view the, the, the bun and, and the butter and the seasoning just as a, as a vehicle to, to kind of deliver that, that super delicious lobster meat. And that's, that's how I prefer it. <laughs> I'm going to remember I, that. I am on- John. And John, you should know, I was telling Luke before we even started recording that I'm a big fan of his location. He's got a location right near where I live. And, you know, I've been there a bunch of times. It's awesome. 
So that advice is yeah. helpful for the next time I visit. I agree. I, you know, I've actually I've been to your East Village one too when I when I used to live downtown. So, um, you know, I, I I can't thank you enough for joining us today, Luke. You know, this was an absolute pleasure, and um, and you know, I think you you shared a lot of good insight, and and very much appreciate your time. Thank you for having me, and uh, uh, look forward to listening to the podcast. Thanks, Luke. All right. Thanks, everybody. And thanks again for listening to Small Biz Ahead, the small business podcast presented by The Hartford. Um, you can catch us on sba.thehartford.com or stream us wherever you get your podcasts. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.